Hey everyone, welcome to the Matt Report. I'm your host, Matt, and I interview folks who are WordPress entrepreneurs, developers, designers, anyone who's using WordPress in their day-to-day -day business uh, to either help with their career or make a living. Uh, and today, I am super excited to interview Pippin Williamson of Pippin's Plugins. Pippin, how are you? Hi, everybody. Doing well. Awesome. Uh, so Pippin's going to join us on the show today to talk about what it's like to be uh, a WordPress developer, specifically in the realm of plugins um, and running his own plugin business. Uh, if you want to join in and learn more about what other professionals are doing in WordPress, do go to mattreport.com slash subscribe, jump on the mailing list, and I'll email you when I get awesome new guests like Pippin. So Pippin, let's dive right in. What's your two-minute drill, two-minute warning, elevator pitch of what you do now? Sure. I'm a WordPress plugin developer. Uh, I've been developing plugins for about two and a half, two or three years now. And it's pretty much all I do. I write plugins. I try and teach other people how to write plugins. And I really try not to do much else. <laughs> I, I really like writing plugins. I think it's a lot of fun. Um, and there's a lot of areas in WordPress plugin development that I feel are neglected in regards to maybe other areas. Like uh, WordPress theme development is very, very common and is really easy for people to get into. But I think a lot of times it's harder for people to get into WordPress plugin development. Um, there's kind of this mental barrier there. And so that's one of the things that along with my own personal plugin development that my my site, pippinsplugins.com, is geared towards to try and make it easier for other people to get into plugin development as well. Nice. What got you into creating plugins, developing plugins, possibly using WordPress? Did you take the typical path uh, that many of us do, was, you know, freelancing, building the $500 website for somebody down the street, and then that kind of just progressed? Or did you, did you know going into the WordPress? I, I definitely did the typical path. Um, I actually started into WordPress by accident. Uh, my brother ran his website on WordPress, and he wanted me to go in and do some customization for it. I was doing straight-up HTML sites at the time. And so I jumped in, I played with it, and I hated it. It was terrible. Uh, and I have no idea where the transition actually happened from going from hating it to really liking it to loving it to running my business off of it. But at some point it did. Uh, I got into plugin development by accident as well. I was doing custom client work at the time, and I was building a site for a, a local company, and they wanted this particular feature. So I built the feature, and I had no idea how to write a plugin at the time. So I built it in into their theme and it was just kind of a, a custom feature in their theme and then I wrote a tutorial on how to do that and how to build this kind of feature into your theme it had to do with custom fonts and a lot of people requested that it be built into a plugin and my response was heck no I don't I don't have any idea how to build a plugin like that's that's kind of scary scary stuff to me and so then I went ahead and looked it up and figured out how to do it it turns out it's really simple <laughs> and then I never done anything since except nice. build plugins so that was that that was that journey started that exact two three years ago, um, or did the actual plugin site uh, was born two or three years ago? Uh, no, that's when that happened. Was my first plugin was about two to two and a half three years ago, just about the same time I was finishing up college. Nice. Um, the the plugin site actually started almost exactly one year ago. Uh, I think November of two thousand eleven. What was that aha moment when you did you sell uh, a plugin? Your typical digital download, um, did you sell it and then say, hey, this could be a business? Did you start off maybe servicing folks? Um, yes, that's actually almost exactly what happened. So that first plugin that I wrote, which was based off of a tutorial, uh, somebody said, hey, why don't you throw it up on a marketplace at the time, which was CodeCanyon.net. 
And it, it made a few dollars here and there. I was kind of surprised. I didn't expect it to do anything. So I decided to write another one, and that did okay. And then I wrote an, a, a image slider, which is kind of the one of the, some of the one of the typical plugins that you might have is a, a slideshow plugin. And at the time, it exploded in terms of my perspective of what was successful for a plugin. And that kind of made me realize that I could maybe not make my entire living off of plugins, but I could do well enough to at least be a substantial amount of side income. Mm-hmm. And it's fair to say that this is the full-time job now? This is the full-time income is you know the Pippin store, if you will? Yes, absolutely. Awesome. Um, so take us back to the early days, that first slider plug-in. What were some of the, uh, obviously the, the benefits were you started to find a market, you, saw, you found people who were giving you money uh, for this plug-in. Um, what were some of the, uh, the, the lows, the, the kind of things you stumbled upon uh, that you look back and now and say, I, I would change the way I would do this if I had to do it all over again? Well, uh, if I was to go back and rewrite the plugin or to redo how I had done it, I wouldn't do anything the same. <laughs> uh, I actually pulled the plugin off of the market recently because I was kind of tired of updating it and because the foundation of how I built it was not very solid. Um, so that'd be the main thing is I would simply go back from a from a development perspective and rebuild it. In terms of maybe distribution or marketing of the plugin, probably wouldn't do a whole lot different. Okay. Uh, your experience jumping into the scene uh, in a marketplace, chicken or the egg kind of thing, um, how was that experience for you? Is it something you would definitely do again to get yourself noticed? Uh, and how does that Ab- still scale absolutely. your own business? Um, I, I really, really enjoy being part of the marketplace. And I'm, I'm still an active member of the marketplace of CodeCanyon.net. It was really great for me at the time because I had zero exposure through myself, uh, through my own site. I had maybe 10 to 20 hits a day on my sites. And obviously, that's not enough to be <laughs> marketing a plugin, uh, not if you want it to be successful in any way. So the amount of exposure provided through a marketplace like that was phenomenal. I mean, I could easily get hundreds and hundreds or thousands of hits on, the, on a product a day easily because they have the massive market. They have all of that traffic generating through their site. So that was really important for starting out. And I've told people before, like if you're interested in plugin development and you're interested in the commercial area of plugin development, there's nothing wrong with a marketplace, nothing at all. Some people don't like the marketplaces because they feel like it damages your own personal brand. It maybe takes away from what you're doing. I would absolutely disagree, at least when you're starting out. Um, I mean, if you are really great at marketing and you know how to get the word out there, awesome. Do it on your own. Uh, I mean, there's nothing wrong with doing it on your own. But the the marketplace is a very viable way of getting started. Yeah. Uh, they have the traffic. They have the eyeballs. Most of the time, well, 99% of the time, they have the payment system and how you, how you get paid. That's a big one. Yeah. Um, let's talk about support. How, how was it to support this marketplace, these users, uh, using a marketplace's support system? Well, at first, it's really not bad. I mean, you can kind of think of it, you basically have a comment system to manage support initially, similar to like a WordPress post that you would have. Um, After expanding a bit, it got a little bit out of control in terms of a comment stream is not a good place for support. So what I did and what most marketplace authors do is set up an outside support system. 
So I run all of my support off of BBPress now on my own support site, and that works really, really well. So I will still do some some support through the comments on the marketplace itself, but I try and direct people over to my own support system. I can track them better. I can manage tickets easier. I can follow threads, et cetera. Um, but initially, it's not a problem at all. Yeah. Are, any inside baseball to, to dealing with uh, and working with folks at marketplaces? Do they not want you pushing people off the site? Um, are you able to negotiate things like commissions and, and splitting profits, anything like that? Sure. Uh, it depends. So for like when pushing people off the site, that really depends on what you're doing. I've talked to a couple of the um, couple of the developers and the and the main guys at Envato and behind the company behind Code Canyon, and they really don't have an issue with you pushing people off the site when it comes to support because they understand that that's very very important. The better support that you provide, the better revenue you're going to generate for them. Mm-hmm. So that's really not an issue. The only time that at least that I'm aware of that that became problematic was primarily on like theme forest or a more of a template marketplace because you you are pushing people off to pop perhaps your own theme demos so you have your own demo site that you are running all of that through and so it's taking people off of the site and then maybe going back to it through an affiliate link or something along those lines um, but usually it's not too much of an issue. Okay. And that's something that they actively police, uh, especially in the theme forest side. They'll, they'll watch for that kind of activity. I don't, I don't know how actively they police it. I mean, I know a lot of top authors that still do it. <laughs> I, I, so honestly, I think a lot of times it depends on who it is that's doing it. There are certain authors that they're going to let them do more or less what they want because they're generating so much revenue for the company. And when you first initially jumped into this, uh, were you fine with the... the I think they were when you first start out with them. It's maybe sixty forty. Um, at the or, time, it was fifty percent, and okay. now when you no, that's not right. Yeah, it was, I got forty percent initially. Yep. Then they changed it later on, so the new new authors got fifty percent. Um, you know, some people looking at that saying, "No way would I would I entertain giving somebody else sixty percent for all my hard work." Um, your advice to them if they're if they're thinking that way. It all depends on the amount of traffic that you can do otherwise. If you can market it adequately, fine. However, from day one, being able to market it to thousands and thousands of users is a pretty darn good reason to take a commission cut. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Um, now, you know, looking at that two, three years later, did you ever expect to have this many, uh, this many plugins, this many products? Is that something that you had a grand vision for, or has it just kind of domino effect as you go, you get these ideas to create another plugin or grabbing community feedback. How do you scale that? Uh, there, that I mean, there was a little bit of intention once I realized that I wanted to continue doing plugin development to, to write more and more plugins, but it definitely dominoed. I mean, a lot of plugins that I have, whether it's a free plugin or a small commercial plugin, really just kind of popped into my head one day and said, hey, let's go ahead and write this. So I spent the next couple hours writing it and pushed it out. Nice. Uh, I mean, obviously, like bigger plugins take time to to work out the ideas, actually develop the plugin. But I mean, there's some of them that are an hour's project, and they're done. Yeah. So those particular ones have kind of dominoed, and that they've just scaled up to being there's more and more of them. Mm-hmm. Do you do a lot of um, you know market research, or do you have somebody you go to, or another site that you say that you go to often and say, you know, I, I think I'm going to build that solution or I, somebody, you know, a hundred people told me that they want this solution. Do you do any, any kind of that feedback? Uh, I do it occasionally. It depends on the plugin. 
Um, I have on my site, for example, I have a form for people to suggest plugins. So if they have a plugin that they want, they can submit a suggestion. And I always take those into consideration. And there's been a couple plugins that have come about because of a suggestion that somebody submitted. If it really depends on the plugin that's being built. Um, there are some plugins that simply knowing the community, being around, watching what kind of plugins are released, what people are building, there are some that you just know do not exist. And so there's not, I mean, that market research is being done, but it's subconsciously. Um, there's There are other times when I have definitely looked around to see if I can find an existing plugin or system to do what I'm looking for. Uh, and usually that's not because I'm thinking of building a plugin, but because I want that feature and then I find that it doesn't exist. So I build a plugin to replace it, to take care of it. Yeah. In terms of, uh, you know, just thinking of different strategies for folks to use to kind of build their plugin business. Um, have you ever done anything like look at the wordpress.org repository, found a super popular free plugin that, uh, maybe, maybe some people aren't happy with or it's just not getting the support that it should or some of the features and then you went and built something just simply better for a, for a, for a small premium fee. Or do you I don't not think, so. think that strategy would work? No, I think it would definitely work. Okay. Uh, I mean, if you can find a plugin that is very, very popular, maybe not necessarily in how well it works, but in terms of the, the need that it fills, uh, the features that it provides, then absolutely. Um, I've never personally done it. Okay. Um, you build the site, you start, uh, you know, your, you start Pippins, plugins.com, uh, and support starts to grow. You are a support monster. <laughs> I see the, uh, you know, the, the screenshots from, I think most recently was your 3000th post, uh, mm -hmm. on your own support forum, uh, in terms of scaling a business, and uh, you kind of chimed in on a conversation I had with another premium plugin developer uh, a couple weeks ago. In growing the business, it's all about, or not all about, but a good portion of it is that support. Absolutely. How do you handle it? How do you plan on scaling it? Is it by getting other bodies in there to answer questions? Is it some systematic approach? Uh, there's a couple of things to it. So at least when it comes to the amount of support that I'm able to prov provide, there's a couple things that are really important. Number one is never missing a single support ticket. Um, I guess that's more about maintaining the quality of support as opposed to managing the amount of support. But um, being able to accurate, easily know or easily follow the tickets that are open, be able to, to know immediately which tickets need to go and be answered, how many tickets are being answered, um, Making sure that you have an adequate system for getting notified of new tickets, um, all of those different things, and making sure that basically you keep on the ball mm -hmm. when it comes to support. Mm -hmm. In terms of ac actually scaling, it is getting extra bodies in there is hugely important. Um, there, we now have four got four of us that help with support. Um, I have I have two support systems I, I run. I run one that is for all of my plugins. Uh, which is support.pippinsplugins.com. And then I run a separate one that is specifically for my main easy digital downloads plugin and for that ecosystem. Um, and so those are maintained separately. On the easy digital download support, there are three of us that actively provide support with a couple of others that volunteer a little bit of time here and there. And then on my, my other 
global plugins support Pippin's plugins. There's two of us. Um, I still do. I do probably ninety percent of all support on both of them, though. Mm -hmm. Give some insight to to folks who maybe are already starting to hit that scale where they're where they're getting a lot of support. Uh, tickets coming in and they and they need that extra help. How did you find folks to help you? Was it just a help wanted ad? Find people that use the plugin. Okay. <laughs> Those are the single best people yep. that you can find. Yep. Uh, that and if you have other developers that are assisting on the plugin, uh, maybe it's just volunteering to fix a bug here or there. Those people are also really well Mm -hmm. suited for the task, assuming that they understand how to provide support. Mm -hmm. Some people simply don't know how to provide support, mm -hmm. uh, and it's not necessarily anything wrong with them. It's just providing support and providing quality support is is a skill, mm -hmm. uh, and it's one that takes a while to get to build up. Um, but so the people that use your plugin are one of the best kinds of people that you can get for providing support because they're already familiar with it. It's far easier to teach somebody who knows how to use your plugin to provide support than it is to teach somebody to use your plugin. Uh, I've tried to do it both ways a couple times, and teaching someone who's not familiar with the plugin at all is very difficult. Mm -hmm. um, you know, in terms of the business, are you are you paying these folks to help you? Are they getting some kind of commission, affiliate links? What's the best way to draw in good help that might not otherwise just volunteer? It really depends on your business model. In this case, I pay them all. Okay. Um, I pay them each an hourly rate based on just how much time they're able to volunteer. None of them are full-time and none of them have set hours. It's really the time that they can volunteer. I mean, not really volunteer because they are getting paid for it, but the time that they can take each week to answer tickets. Mm -hmm. uh, we are working on getting a more set schedule with a couple of them to say, you're going to be doing support between this and this time on these particular days. They have a little bit more of a, a structured system. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm sure that that's probably what most support teams do. Mm -hmm. Your experience with kind of, um, I'm sure you never really planned on uh, managing a virtual team. How, 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 are you, uh, how, are you, how are you managing that virtual team? How are you making sure these folks are actually doing what they, they are supposed to do? Uh, that's some of the stuff that we're still trying to figure out, okay. to be honest. Um, a lot of it is trust because I know each of them very well. Um, I trust each of them very well, so that's not it's not really an issue to make sure that they're doing it. Um, it's more, or it's not really an issue to make sure that they're doing it as opposed to pretending that they're doing it and just sending you an invoice. It's I think it's more of an issue of just making sure that it does get done mm -hmm. is probably the challenge. Uh, and we're working on establishing systems for that. Um, active communication, whether it's through Skype or email, is really, really important for sure. Mm -hmm. um, and I think active communication on what your expectations are. Like I, when I initially hired my first support guy, I just kind of said, "All right, here's the support form. Go do a couple hours a week." It doesn't work. Um, it doesn't work because that kind of forces them to go in and look for tickets to answer, maybe monitor it themselves. Um, I mean, maybe once they get established with the system and they're used to it, that works a little bit. But I think you really need to establish a system where you are actively assigning. So whether you are assigning tickets to say, these are the tickets you need to answer, or these are the tasks that you need to complete. I think that's really, really important for, for keeping a team active and going. Mm. I guess it's a happy balance between micromanagement and encouragement. Definitely. Uh, the uh, my old job, I I was a middle tier boss, and being micromanaged by the above 
uh, management uh, was never fun. Um, no, it's not. And now running a, a more distributed team myself, I do fall into the pitfalls of, okay, yeah, here, you know, I know you're going to do this. Just go ahead and, and help these people. And if you're not setting that expectation, that could definitely be uh, a bad thing. Not a super bad thing, but it's usually comes down to just loss of time um, right. versus them just not doing it. So you're absolutely right. A lot of folks that I've spoken to so far actually came from outside the WordPress community and are more inclined to do proprietary code and the code that they write is theirs. So I think when some people look from the outside and see something like your, your, your flagship product of uh, easy digital downloads, um, they're saying, wow, you're putting out an awesome piece of software for somebody to potentially make millions of dollars with for a fraction a very small fraction of that price. Um, where are we going with prices of plugins? Should they be more? Should we be getting paid more for what we do? I think it's it's kind of a difficult question. Um, it depends on whether the the pricing scheme for your plugin. So, for example, all my plugins that exist on a marketplace have a one-time cost, and that one-time cost gives you unlimited usage. So, when it comes to a pricing model like that, where you simply pay a price to use the plugin, period. Um, absolutely. I love high prices. And not just because I like the extra revenue, but I like paying for plugins that have a higher price. Um, I mean, some of the ones that are well known would be like Gravity Forms, Backup Buddy, etc. These are all in what a lot of people would consider the plugin market. These are expensive plugins. Now, if you look at the fact that there's hundreds of hours of development put in these plugins. It's not pricey at all. I mean, you've literally paid $80, $60, whatever it is, for hundreds and hundreds of hours of development work. And also paid for a system that is probably going to save you, depending on how much you use it, a lot of hours. So I have no problem with those prices, and I really like to see those prices. That being said, I also run half of my business off of a marketplace that does not use those prices. It uses the really low tier prices. And so I can respect that too. Um, there is something to be said for low prices in terms of generating a larger number of sales. Sometimes. I don't, I don't know that lower prices j actually affect the number of sales or not. But I think it's, it's interesting because the customers that will pay for a higher price plugin as opposed to, say, a $10 plugin are typically the much better customer, uh, and they're easier. They're easier to support as well. I I don't understand why it is, but the lower the price, the more difficult the customer. In in, in on average, mm -hmm. um, the the people that I have the hardest time supporting are the people that use free plugins. Mm -hmm. Now that's not to say that there are not a lot of people out there that are wonderful to support when it comes to free plugins because they appreciate the free work, but they're for some strange psychological reason, there is a higher sense of entitlement the lower the price. Mm -hmm. I, I no idea why. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I think it really comes down to the folks who aren't willing to pay. They just simply don't see the value um, yeah. and, and the time and the effort. And, the, and they don't understand what the quality is behind the product. I think we're inherently facing an issue with WordPress, especially on .org and a little bit into .com, is that it's such a low barrier to entry. Right, where folks are just getting this, getting WordPress for quote unquote free, and I hate seeing WordPress for free because there's so much more cost to that. It's not just it's free to click and install, but then there's the hours you spend setting it up, configuring it, 
updating it and maintaining it throughout absolutely throughout the years um and i'm on like this crazy mission to kind of show people that sure it's free to access and install but it's not free uh you know in terms of of overall cost right there's Um, always costs associated with it yep um and actually it's funny because i just interviewed uh cory miller of iThemes and and we talked about um one of my first uh, press this episodes that we do for the studio, we looked at backup buddy and we made like this small distinction that 79 bucks for backup might be a little much for that first person, uh, that, that first time blogger, right? This first yeah. time person to WordPress, they might say 79 bucks to backup my site. I, you know, I'm not going to spend that. And he chimed in and I loved his response. He chimed in. He said, you know, there's so many hours, man hours put into this, you know, dollars put into this investment. The 79 is not a very big price. And, and I totally agree with him. And my partner on the show actually had said it's like buying an external USB stick or a drive to back up your site. <laughs> it's a perfect combination, right? Or per- perfect relation. Um, I mean, to be honest, you, I every time that I use it to create a backup of a site or, or migrate a site, I've got my money's worth. Yep. Because, I mean, if you look at simply as time is money, whatever your hourly rate is or whatever the hourly rate of the person that you're hiring to do it, Let's say it's somewhere between fifty and hundred dollars, just to be to e- be easy. Well, if it takes them one hour to do it, guess what? You just paid for the plugin, and but now you got to pay them again next time. <laughs> yep. Um, that is one of my one of my questions, especially for the freelancers in in our space, is how do you deal with the five hundred dollar client? How do you deal with that low cost client that wants all this stuff for five hundred bucks? And how do we deal with the person in our space? Who's pitching the five hundred dollars solution? I can do all this stuff for you for five hundred bucks or less when we know it costs more. What, you know, how are you dealing with that uh, with plugins? So I used to do a lot of the five hundred dollar work. I mean, when I started out, that's really what I did. Um, I'm really glad I don't do it anymore. <laughs> but um, I think if you were the person doing the five hundred dollar work, first of all, that's not necessarily wrong or bad. I mean, if it, if that's working well for you, that's great. Um, but when it comes to managing those clients, at least in my own experience, those are the single most difficult clients. Um, I, I, it goes back to the, the, the lower the price, the higher the expectations or the higher or the less appreciation for the value. Um, if you are dealing with those people and that's, those are the clients that you're working with, you have to be really firm in saying this is what you get and this is what you don't get. If you want this, here's the cost. End of story, pretty much. Um, and and I think that works out. For, I think that works out well as long as you maintain that. Uh, I remember a couple past experiences I had where it was, all right, my budget's five hundred dollars. We're going to get started with this, and it's just basically we're going to set up a theme, configure it, do all of this, and it ended up if I had been billing them hourly, it would have been a two or three thousand dollar project by the end because they're nitpicking so many different things. Oh, well, now let's go ahead and change this over here. Let's change, let's change this little border color or, the, or the, the padding around this. And you have to set your, put your foot down and say, no, um, you're paying $500, which is a steal for this setup. This is what you get. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, again, that's, that, that's one of my personal missions is helping people who are, are pitching the $500 solution, which is not a bad thing. We still do it occasionally. If the if the client fits, but for the, to educate the folks that are doing it, that there's more to this. I want you to realize there's more to this so that one, 
you can provide more value to your customer. You can eventually make more money. Um, you know, there's a lot more that you could be doing if you scaled it up. Uh, Absolutely. And scaled it up correctly. Um, real quick now, you're doing support on the, uh, the Code Canyon network, the WordPress.org network, and your own network. How do you keep all three of them <laughs> without going crazy? Gmail labels. Okay. <laughs> That's the secret. Put them all into one inbox so that no matter where they're coming from, they all get triggered in the same place. I think right. that's a big one. So I have, for example, I have labels set up in my inbox that say this is this is easy digital download support. This is tip state like other plugin support. So then when I want to, I can just go in there and I can go through every single ticket, regardless of whether it came in through WordPress.org, whether it came in through my own support system or not. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, once you get used to it, it's not it doesn't really become an issue of where it's coming in as long as you know it's there. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's really nice when they all go into one place. Uh, because you, you can ease, you can manage it better, you can track it better, but sometimes that's just not the case. Um, I, I speak a lot about uh, ecosystems for different plugins because I, I don't think people are are yet um, uh, privy to the fact that there's a lot of ecosystems within a plugin. So Absolutely. With easy digital downloads, you have a mini marketplace for that. Uh, WooCommerce, same thing. Yep. Um, is, is that the next frontier for... For WordPress uh, developers? I think it is. Okay. Um, I mean, if it's not necessarily the next frontier, it's a frontier for sure. Um, I think the potential that you have in that kind of model, which uh, would be kind of considered the freemium model, um, or not necessarily the freemium model, because some, uh, for example, like the shop, shop e-commerce plugin, it's a commercial pr- plugin, and then it has other extensions that are also commercial. But it's still that same ecosystem within itself. Uh, I think it has huge potential and gives you the option of building much more powerful systems without building a plugin that's going to break every single site <laughs> because it's so large. Yep. I mean, if, if we put every single extension that we have for EDD into one plugin, it'd be massive. Uh, and there would be, it'd be much more difficult to maintain. There would be a lot more compatibility issues, et cetera. So being able to separate them out into modules or into extensions allows us to utilize these features that maybe a much smaller percentile of the users actually utilize and make them available to people who want them and need them, but don't impact the people that don't need them. Mm -hmm. Um, Our typical model for whether something goes to an extension or not is uh, if, say, 75% of the users are going to use it or likely use it, we're going to put it in the core plugin. There's, I mean, there's always exceptions, but in general, that's kind of the rule. If if it's something that 20% or less are going to actively use, there's no reason to put it into the core plugin. Zero. Oh, I mean, not necessarily zero, but it works really well as an extension then because it's it's a much smaller area. There's a much smaller market for that. That market may still be huge. It may be thousands and thousands of users, but in terms of the overall number of users of a plugin, not very many people use it. Mm-hmm. Um I think this kind of ecosystem is really cool because it allows us to build in all of these features that different people need without causing that problem, without causing that serious bloat issue. Uh, We can build an extension for one person and they can have that feature and that's awesome, but they're the only one that needed it. So why would it go to the core plugin? And I really like the fact that that's possible in this kind of ecosystem. Right. Yeah, I, I think definitely ecosystems are 
um, you know, tremendous value and uh, a great way for somebody to get their foot in the door with, um, you know, a good, not just a good plugin, but being able to, to get into a community like yours, um, maybe like a WooCommerce, um, that type of thing, because you know you're going to get the support. Um, mm-hmm. And it gets that 80-20 rule out of the way where, hey, maybe the, the, the core plugin was free or very, very low dollars where it's solving 80%. And when I know I need to get to that next step, like a payment gateway or you know, integrating with a, with a mail system, you know, I can always go back and, and, and snag that functionality. Absolutely. Um, what's one thing that really works uh, for the, or what one thing really worked for EDD for your business besides filling the need of easy digital downloads? Uh, what was the one thing that really, that you could really say, this is my flagship product because people really like it for this? Um, Honestly, I think it goes back to the ecosystem. Okay. Um, so, like the core plugin provides a need. Um, I originally built it because I felt like none of the e-commerce plugins out there really did digital downloads well enough. Some of them do it well, some of them do it okay, some of them don't do it at all, but none of them really focused on it. So, that's where the initial let's fill in the gap comes into play, and then we're able to. I think it's. One of the reasons it's been really successful is because of the ecosystem, because we're able to pr- provide all of these extensions to further what people can use the plugin for. Um, I mean, out of out of the box, you can you can sell digital products and you can do that really well. But let's say, for example, that you want to set up your own marketplace. Well, suddenly you you have to have things like tracking commissions for each individual author. You have to have all of these different little features and. That's what extensions are for. Um, and so by building these extensions and making them available, our user base or our possible user base goes from X number to double or triple that or whatever the, the multiple is. Um, and I think that's one of the big reasons. I think that's also one of the big reasons why WooCommerce and Jigoshop are so successful is because of that ecosystem. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. Um, let's talk about WordPress. WordPress for a little bit, uh, and WordPress as, as a business. And one, one question I've been asking folks who are running a digital business uh, like yours, what are your thoughts on doc, WordPress.com um, adding your type of premium features but giving them to their .com users for free? What are your thoughts on that? Is that something we should be scared of, we should be paying attention to? Um, I think the idea is really cool. Um, in terms of should we be concerned about it from a business perspective, I don't really know. I don't think I have um, any really solid thoughts on that because I haven't really seen it happen. Okay. I mean, we've I'll seen it a little you, bit. I'll give you my, my, my example. As I interviewed Brian Castle of RestaurantEngine.com, yes. and then the next day, .com, WordPress.com. i got to keep remembering to say WordPress.com for the folks that don't really know. Um, they release the vertical of restaurant themes where you yes, can you know, add that. your menu and, and, and do all this stuff within the theme. So I, I guess I'm looking at it from that perspective. And then only, I think, a month ago, they dropped, they, they introduced a new quote unquote VIP package, $500 a month for a VIP, almost a VIP like experience. Um, so for businesses like that, I think it's definitely possible problem so for like for brian castle uh i mean obviously that could have an impact on his business 
Whether it actually has or not, I have no idea. Um, but, so I think there, there's two different businesses that will be affected differently. So Brian, for example, provides a SaaS. I mean, he's providing a subscription as a service system. And so everything is hosted. So the experience that a customer would have through Brian, Brian's restaurant engine would be pretty similar to what somebody would have through WordPress.com through their restaurant site system. I don't remember whatever it's called. Um, they would be very similar because both of them are hosted solutions. However, if we look at, say, like my business model, we don't have a hosted solution for EDD. So if WordPress.com were to introduce that, it would most likely be the same kind of hosted solution where this is what you get, take it or leave it. Um, so it wouldn't really impact me if that's what they did. But if I was running a SaaS, then I could definitely see an impact. Mm -hmm. What is it a bad thing? I don't know. Mm -hmm. I think it's really cool that WordPress.com is offering that because I think it's a, a lot of potential. Um, I would be very curious to know if there is a visible impact on SaaS systems outside of WordPress.com. So like Restaurant Engine or Happy Tables or the other ones that are similar to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I, I, I agree. It's either going to be that marketplace uh, experience, for lack of a better term, where the general population is seeing these cool features out there for free that they can get on .com, but as soon as they want to get uh, a better experience with, let's say, support or somebody who can service them, uh, and then they can go with the .org version and, and kind of tailor it to their more unique needs. Right, exactly. Um, I've talked to a couple of people recently who are on .com for whether it's their own personal site or if it's something more extensive like a restaurant site and they discuss moving to .org simply so that they have more control. Mm -hmm. And I think the control aspect or the freedom aspect to do what you want to do is the one of the key important factors. Mm -hmm. Was this a end user or is this a developer designer? Uh, this was a, they weren't really developer or designer, they were more the business person. Okay. What was, their, it. Uh, what was their primary, just curious to know what the, the population looks for, for control? Was it just design control, SEO control? They didn't say. Oh, I don't, okay. um, I mean, we had, it was a pretty brief conversation, but yeah. it, it basically came down to the fact that they have more freedom to, for example, they can install whatever plugin they want yep. on .org. Yep. Um, they have the options of doing that. I mean, WordPress.com provides some really, really cool features. I use it for one of my, my microblogs, and I love it. It's great. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I'm in there and I'm thinking, I wish I could do this and I can't. Yeah. So immediately, even like on a simple blog site, I mean, granted, I'm a little bit more of a power user than a, a lot of end users, but I'm still kind of itching for that extra control, that extra freedom. Mm -hmm. Awesome. The, uh, the upcoming developer, designer, entrepreneur in the WordPress space, where, do they, where should they get involved uh, in WordPress if they're just starting out? From what perspective? Business um, perspective? Uh, let's just let's from your perspective of development, plugin development. You know, where where would you point somebody in the direction uh, on in the WordPress environment or ecosystem of community help sure. sites, things like that? Uh, I think there's a couple of things. Uh, for if you want to, if you're just starting out as a developer or as a de designer, so themes or plugins, WordPress.org is a really really great place to start. Some people will criticize .org because there's a lot of fluff in there. There's a lot of things that we maybe would like to say didn't exist, but they do. But that being said, it's still 
is a window to a huge world. Um, I mean, there's so much exposure through .org. I mentioned early on that the marketplaces are a really great way to get exposure for a commercial product if you don't have that exposure. .org is the same way for free plugins. I mean, I can drop a plugin up there, never touch it again, and get 30,000 downloads. That's pretty cool. Um, so if you're getting started, that's a great place to go. Um, the other big one, if you're interested in getting involved in the community, there's a couple of things. One is start contributing to other projects, whether it is WordPress core, maybe, maybe you want to start contributing patches to it, helping out with tickets. That's awesome. That's a really great way to get recognized. You could go from nobody to somebody that a lot of people know or a lot of important people know very quickly by simply jumping in and helping with WordPress core development. Helping out with other people's plugins or themes and whether that's volunteering in their support forms, volunteering to contribute patches or improvements to the plugin, those are also really great ways to get noticed. Um, I mean, this is kind of subjective, but me personally, and I, I'm sure this applies to almost everybody else, I'm going to take much more notice of somebody who actively jumps in and says, hey, I would like to help, here's a patch or here's a suggestion, as opposed to somebody who posts a small feature request on a form, for example. Mm -hmm. um, so actively showing that you're interested in working with the WordPress community on whatever project it is. I mean, it could be, even be documentation, like the WordPress codex. Anybody can log in and edit it. All you have to have is a WordPress.org account, and you can contribute to the codex. Um, all of these things are really great ways to, to get noticed and, and get out there. Um, I think it's really just about working with other, working with other people that are already in the community. Mm. Um, what's your experience in, in the value of WordCamps and attending WordCamps? I think they're awesome. Um, I don't necessarily think they're always awesome to go to for the talks. Okay. I love the talks in general, but I get tremendous. I get much more value going and just meeting people than I do from simply listening to the presentations. I mean, presentations are great. I mean, obviously, you've got these people that are presenting on a topic that they know well, and it's really great to absorb that knowledge. But the number one thing that I really enjoy from WordCamps is networking, getting to know people face-to-face. -face. Maybe there's a developer or a designer that I know online, and I know what they've done, and then meeting that person face-to-face -face is great. It builds that extra connection. Um, there's been a lot of whether they're small jobs or projects that I've done that have simply come from the fact that I met you in person. Um, it's a lot easier to work with somebody or to be interested in working with somebody when you know them know them face to face. Mm -hmm. I mean, you may seem like a great person in email and I may think I want to work with you, but it's much easier to get that idea and have a solid understanding of who this person is when you meet them in person. Yeah, um, that's... So that's huge for me. Yeah, that's that is the uh, resounding answer uh, to WordCamps. When I interview people, and when I talk to other people about you know either building their business or building their WordPress business, that we all get caught up in the noise of just social and Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn. And sure, you just throw some keywords in your site, and all of a sudden you'll be found and make millions of dollars. I, I still think the biggest payoff is the the physical handshake, the physical real networking. Absolutely, I really enjoy the fact, and I think. I think the WordPress community is the rare exception to this general rule, but I love knowing people online and having a kind of a, a general understanding of who this person is, what they do, and then meeting them in person to find out that they're a really genuine person that is interesting, 
um, exceptionally polite and just a good person in general. I think that's really awesome. And the fact that I can very comfortably go from sitting in my office in my little digital space talking with people on Twitter to going and meeting them in real life is great. Um, and not once has this been, oh, this is kind of weird. We're, we're meeting in person. Like, I mean, we're all just in the digital sphere. It doesn't happen. I mean, uh, all of these are real people that you're working with. And I think going, going around WordCamps and meeting them simply enforces that idea more. That's awesome. Uh, all the good stuff said about WordPress, now that I've set you up, what's, a, what's one gripe you have with WordPress, either in the software or the community? Are we not getting the word out there enough? Uh, what do you think needs to change? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, I think one of the things that needs to change more, and this is something that is changing, is the stigma around commercial plugins. Uh, there's a couple things. Uh, there's a stigma around commercial plugins with some members, whether they're core contributors to WordPress or just general people that say, wait, aren't all WordPress plugins are free? Well, no. I mean, we know that that's not the truth. I mean, sometimes it's because there's so much development time put into them. Um, the other one the thing that I would really like to see, and this is this has nothing to do with commercial or free plugins, I would love to see for developers primarily, uh, I would love to see the the mental block that there is to get into WordPress plugin development, get that removed. Um, I know from my own experience that there is this kind of uh, mentality that most people have that says WordPress plugin development is difficult. Uh, and obviously, this is for, primarily for developers. I mean, because if you're not a developer, well, it's it's going to be difficult. But there, even among developers, even really solid developers that really know what they're doing, uh, a lot of them think WordPress plugin development is difficult. It's scary. I don't understand how this system works. And I would like to see that uh, get removed, get uh, mitigated a lot more. Because honestly, if if you know how to write a WordPress theme, you know how to write a plugin. It's it's more or less the same thing. Uh, there's very little difference to it. And I would also really like to see a more appreciation for individuals' work, uh, whether that be <laughs> a, a level of respect and care for your own work or a level of respect and care for other people's work. Uh, the problem, I think one of the problems that we have right now with the, the marketplace system is that we have that low barrier of entry that you mentioned before, so we get a lot of crud. Uh, we get a lot of people who, not not to say anything bad about them, but honestly should not be writing plugins or themes and releasing them commercially or f primarily commercially. Um, it's very the majority of my support tickets come from bad development practices in other systems uh, because they've caused conflicts. Now that's not to say that everybody should be a, a rock star developer because that's just not true. Uh, I mean, everybody starts somewhere. I mean. I've looked back at my old code and it scares the pants off me. It's terrifying how bad it is. Uh, everybody starts somewhere and that's fine. But I think it's in sometimes we need to have a higher barrier of entry into some of these these ecosystems. Commercial marketplaces, absolutely. It should be really tough to get onto a commercial marketplace. Um, should it be really tough to get into WordPress.org? That's kind of debatable. Mm. So that's that's my that's my big one is the, is the barrier of entry for commercial products. Yeah, 
I agree with you 1,000%. Uh, the hardest thing, or not the hardest thing, but one of the most, um, I don't even know, have a word to put on it, but when we started uh, two, three years ago going to word camps, my immediate thing, I originally came from uh, a Drupal shop uh, when I started my own venture uh, in as a WordPress shop uh, when I discovered WordPress at the Drupal shop. <laughs> um, knowing right away, get involved with the community, go to word camps, go to meetups. This is how you get involved. This is how I got involved with Drupal. You go to these word camps and there's that invisible line that kind of divides the cool kids with the not so cool kids. Uh, the people who are doing it Definitely. right, the people who are not doing it right. Um, and I think, again, it's that fine balance that we have to walk of do you just call people out and say you're doing it wrong? Um, one of the services online that I can't stand the most is clout because I think it's just some ambiguous number that people are throwing yep. on some kind of... I signed up for it and never logged in. Right, and, and it's got like this random metric and I think somebody's just throwing numbers on it, but should there be a clout for developers? You know, like something that comes down to really hard uh, core uh, Gauging, but then of course there's the gaming system of that, and then there's the right. I don't like him or her, so I'm going to give them a negative, you know. So I think it's it's always going to be that kind of that tug of war that we have to deal with. Ultimately, I don't I don't see a lot of value or legitimate value in a gauging system because I think there's too many variables that are going to make it wrong. You might be a rock star developer that made a mistake, and so that mistake just suddenly costs you your score, and that sucks, um, and that shouldn't be the case. I think I think the best gauging that we ha that we can do uh, at least realistically is um, is basically on people's work. I mean, if you produce a lot of great products, like that's a, that's automatically going to give you um, a level of respect and trust inside of the community. If you constantly push out subpar products. Um, whether whether your products are free or commercial, it doesn't really matter. But if if they're constantly subpar, then that's going to naturally create you this uh, a much lower level of of trust, at least within inner circles. Um, so the issue then I think is getting those those values or that general idea of these are the good developers, these are the poor developers, or the, or the shops, uh, and getting those out so that they're a little bit more public and easier for someone to, to understand. There are a couple of theme shops, and I, I won't name them, but <laughs> I, I don't like to use this word, but I really despise them um, because they constantly push out subpar products, but they have really great marketing. And so to the average Joe, the average end user, they have no idea what this is in the back end, behind the scenes, but it looks really pretty on the front end. And so they constantly, I, I run into issues with them all the time because Behind the scenes, their systems are, quite frankly, terrible. And I would love to go help them, but these are the same groups of people, the same shops that are producing these subpar products. They don't care to accept community help to further enhance their products. Um, there are several theme shops that I have actively contributed to saying, look, here's how we fix this. This is a problem. I've dealt with it five to six times. Here's how you fix it. And you never get a response. And so those are the people that, I would kind of like to push off and be able to uh, help other people know that these are who you should avoid as opposed to these are the people that act, um, actively respond to problems with their, their systems. They help people out. They encourage collaboration. So I think, in, I think projects that publicly show that they have community collaboration 
are my favorite kind mm-hmm. um, for a couple of reasons. One, because they evolve faster than any others. But a project that has public community collaboration is always going to be better. It's it's always going to be better, and it's also going to be much easier to trust this. If you're open with what your issues are, with what the problems are, and you're openly accepting fixes from people, that says a lot from mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. If you work behind closed doors, I have no idea what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I you're... and that's not to say that everybody can open their their stuff up and and be open like that. But right when you can, it's great. Right, and I. You're speaking my language. I love it. I love uh, especially the the theme stuff, and we won't mention names, but that is the uh, the common uh, the common cold that comes walking through the door, <laughs> for lack of a better term, uh, for us. And um, you know, I, I you you post a lot about how you flip reviews. Here's how you go from a one star to a five star, yeah. um, and I think that's awesome. Um, and I think that, you know, .org introducing things like the more Amazon-like review um, is, is kind of cool. And I think it's tough for folks to say, well, just do good work and it'll weed out the rest of them. Or, you know, they're doing bad work, and, but eventually, you know, the market will catch on. I just think we're in one of those phases where there's more market demand than there is enough time for, for us good guys, if you will, uh, to, be, uh, to be found by that that person who wants that sure. dot org. Um, it's an interesting place, I think, that we're in. Um, I don't know how to draw a graph of that, <laughs> but if I could, I would, of, sure. de- of demand versus uh, quality and, 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 un- and non-quality work. Well, it's been an awesome talk on WordPress stuff. Uh, I think people are going to get a ton of great information from that. Yeah, pleasure. Let's talk about the next section, which is called What's in Your Toolbox? Uh, and what's in Pippin's Toolbox is a type of piece or a piece of software or hardware that you need to use on a daily basis to run your business. Uh, what keeps, what's the glue that keeps it all together for you uh, on a daily basis? Pandora. <laughs> That's an awesome answer. <laughs> and my coffee maker. Nice. Those are the big ones. Um, and Gmail labels. Yes, Gmail um, labels. Like um, but in... More seriously, though, uh, there, there's a couple of things that I use every single day that are crucial to to my workflows, to actively progressing development, etc. Uh, number one, as a developer, obviously, I have a, I have a very close, intimate relationship with my code editor. Uh, I use Sublime Text too. Some people love it, some people hate it, uh, and it doesn't really matter what you use as long as you really like what you use. Uh, I've Tried a lot of different editors over time for code editing. And there have been a couple times where I decided to give one a go and I would use it for a couple weeks. And you can tell very quickly that it's not working for you because you're constantly thinking, well, where's this button or where's the command key, where's a shortcut for this? And it's slowing your development. So make sure that you have a good code editing environment. It doesn't matter what it is. I used to use Notepad. On Windows, which is like the most minimal code editor you could possibly get, but I loved it. It was awesome. Um, so whatever it is that you use, um, Git for all my version control is hugely important. Um, from uh, all technical reasons aside, uh, integrating all of my at least my publicly open and accessible work via GitHub is huge. Uh, I have several projects that. Uh, were not on GitHub, and then I have several that were. 
the pre having a presence for a free plugin on GitHub is going to dramatically increase your community collaboration, probably by a hundredfold or more. Um, not everybody likes Git. Not everybody knows how to use Git, and not everybody likes GitHub. I can think of a couple people that adamantly despise it. <laughs> However, the advantages that GitHub has. Um, and for those that are not familiar, GitHub is a public version control system as well as a way for people to have, you can have like a bug tracker, you can have discussions about issues, things like that. Uh, but anyway, GitHub for the majority of users make it, makes it really easy for people to contribute back to a project, whether that is to leave a bug report or to submit an actual patch to the code. Um, and having having something where it's easy for people to contribute back to the actual project was really, really important for me. It increased our development for easy digital downloads by tenfold, easily. Um, also, having some sort of, this doesn't always apply, but in the case of like easy digital downloads, it's really important. We have a lot of extensions, and we have a lot of extensions that are in development or planned ones that we want to build, et cetera. And there are a lot of different people building extensions. So when you have an, an ecosystem like that, having some sort of internal way of discuss, discussing extension development, discussing ideas, et cetera, is really important. For easy digital downloads, we're using Trello, trello.com. It's phenomenal. Um, we actually only started using it about two or three weeks ago, but it has probably quadrupled the rate of extension development inside of the inside of the system and it's simply because we have a formal location for people to propose ideas people to discuss current ideas to get status on the development of current of ones that are being built right now before we were using trello it was my personal email you want to build something send me an email talk to me on skype and it, and it works on a small scale yeah. but not not for a larger scale not for when you really want to encourage other people to contribute to it um, when it comes to my entire support system is running around, or at least the majority of it is all running around BBPress, which is the bbpress.org. Uh, it's the forms plugin written primarily by John James Jacoby. Uh, it used to be an actual version of WordPress. Now it's a plugin, but so all of my support is run around that system. And so it's been really important for me, uh, in, in my daily routine to fine-tune BBPress to work really well as a support system. I actually wrote an article recently on WPTotsPlus.com about how to use BBPress as a support form. BBPress is awesome out of the box, but there's some things that if you want to provide a really good support system that it just doesn't have. Um, so that those are the, the really big ones. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna try to get that that link uh, in the show notes because that was oh, awesome. Sure. That was an awesome piece. Uh, I loved it. Uh, a couple of my guys, um, you know, really uh, dove into it. Um, oh, good. So it was definitely um, useful. Um, let's dive into the lightning round where I'll ask you a series of quick questions and you have a series of quick answers. Uh, what's the one plugin you can't live without besides any of your own? <laughs> oh, I can live without a lot of my own. <laughs> um, from a business perspective, it's BBPress because of all of my the support through it. In terms of just, I simply love this for development. It's called Duplicate Post. It's one of my favorite tools, one of my favorite plugins that's ever been written, and it's really simple. All it does is allow you to duplicate a post or a page to copy it to a new draft. 
it is the best thing in the world when it comes to setting up test sites or demo sites, et cetera. That's definitely a handy one. Uh, a favorite WordPress or business book? I've never read a single WordPress book. <laughs> Good. Um, I, I don't read tech books typically. <laughs> I find short tutorials, not necessarily short, but tutorials online are typically more up to date and I get more out of them. Great. Uh, a quote you live or run your business by? Uh, I can't think of one off the top of my head, honestly. No problem. This lightning round, a lot of pressure. <laughs> uh, the, uh, the best business or career advice you may have ever received? Hmm. I don't, I don't know who it first came from, but uh, it was make sure that you support your products really, really well. Uh, that's something that I've learned to live by and I think it's been a huge foundation in, in getting me where I am today. Okay. Uh, the longest a client project has ever taken or maybe the development of a plugin. <laughs> <laughs> a year and a half. It was supposed to be a two month project. All right. Um, so far the longest is two years. Uh, if you had to switch to another CMS, what would it be and why? It would probably be one that doesn't exist. Okay. Uh, I mean, for one, I really, really love WordPress. I love everything that there is. Um, I have always toyed with the idea of creating my own just for fun. And so that's what I would do. Awesome. Uh, who should I interview next? Thomas Griffin. Okay. Uh, he, he wrote a plugin called Soliloquy. Okay. Uh, a phenomenal developer, active in the WordPress community, all around good guy. Awesome. Um, what's the one question I didn't ask you that I should have? Why do you write plugins? <laughs> Why do you write plugins? Um, I, I really like plugins because there's no limit to what you can or can't do with a plugin. In terms of the debate between WordPress plugins or themes, themes always have a limit. Themes will always have a set criteria of things you need to do, whether you have to display your content. You have to display your titles. You maybe have to display things like comments. You have this kind of set standard for what you need to do or can do. I mean, you can always do more than that, but there's a kind of a basic minimum. There is no such thing as a minimum on a plugin. I mean, you can have a one-line code plugin, a one-line-of-code plugin, and it's a complete plugin. It could be very cool. You can also have a plugin that's 5,000 or 10,000 lines of code. There is zero limit. So... I hear a lot of people get burnt out in the WordPress theme development world because they're kind of doing the same thing over again. They might have a new, new, completely new design each time, but there's still elements of it that are the same over and over again. I can go from writing a plugin like Easy Digital Downloads that takes months and months of development and just say, all right, I'm going to take a break and for two hours I'm going to write a plugin and I'm done with it. That plugin is never touched again, but it is a complete product start to finish in one to two hours. And I really like that. Um, it's, it gives you more freedom to not get burnt out. It's mm -hmm. easier to not get burnt out on them because there's so many different things you can do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and it's almost, uh, you know, there's, there's always like this minimalistic approach in theme design and, uh, you know, what you're able to do is craft a piece of art that could be super minimal uh, at the same time have a massive amount, massive amount of utility uh, sure. to a person or a site uh, with just the check of a button like Maybe like duplicate post. Yeah. You know, it's as simple as that. You just hit duplicate and it does. 
It's been an awesome interview, Pippin. I can't thank you enough for doing this. It's been a pleasure. Um, I hope everyone learned something from the business angle, the development angle, the community angle that Pippin has uh, massive amounts of experience in. If you want to get more awesome interviews like this, mattreport.com. If you want to stay in the loop, mattreport.com slash subscribe. Pippin, plug away. Where can people find you? Where can they find you on the web? What can they do uh, about getting your products? Sure. Uh, you can find just about everything about me on pippinsplugins.com. Uh, that's Pippin with a with double I. A lot of people try and spell it with an E, which does not work. Uh, so it's pippinsplugins.com, pippinsplugins on Twitter, or uh, for my main project right now is easydigitaldownloads.com. It is an awesome product. Uh, we use it here uh, on a few projects, and uh, you know I, I can't thank you enough for developing it, and uh, it's been uh, an awesome interview. So thanks a lot. Great. Thanks, thanks Matt. Matt.